When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Alessandro had the touchdown, gets a first down, and looks like the ball came out, and the Vikings have it. On the end of the play, it was stolen away by Harrison Smith. Cousins wanted Thielen, throws a Hail Mary. Kevin King, did he come up with it? Uh, very disappointed in my performance today. You know, it just it just wasn't good enough at the quarterback position to expect to win, and yet um, I felt like uh, with the way our team fought, you know, we were right there at the end as a result of the way our our team kept playing. Frustrating game, uh, walking away. I uh, just didn't feel like I did my part uh, today, and didn't feel like I gave our our team um, you know the chance that it needed from from my role, and uh, that's very very frustrating. All right, that was Kirk Cousins and uh, many other things that happened to Kirk Cousins yesterday in the Minnesota Vikings lost to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, you know, I felt like I wasted a lot of gas to drive all the way to Green Bay to watch that performance and a lot of time. And there were dead deer along the way. And I saw some living ones that looked like they were going to jump out in front of me. And Judd ate a bunch of food in my car and left all of his potato chip bags. Like it was not a great trip overall for me or the Minnesota Vikings yesterday. And so to break it down here today on Purple Daily, uh, our friend Sage Rosenfels, what is going on, Sage? Well, everybody does know how important gas is to you and that you should try to keep as much gas uh, to yourself as possible. So we, we understand that you're paying <laughs> On this uh, on this Monday afternoon. Uh, okay, uh, let's quickly get into football. Um, uh, now, first of all, I do get paid for mileage, so uh, I'm I, I'm doing okay there because my Honda Civic gets great mileage, so I'm not suffering. It was really the time that it took to dro- drive down there and watch a quarterback 
put together one of the saddest performances that I can remember by someone who's considered a franchise quarterback. This would normally be reserved for like Ryan Fitzpatrick to have a complete meltdown day where it's a no-show and he gives your team no chance whatsoever to win. ESPN has adjusted the QBR. Yesterday, after the game, it posted a 4, and uh, they've bumped it up to an 8 out of 100. So, well, uh, and the thing you talk about with uh, you know Ryan Fitzmagic, as I like to say, call him, is when he does have those bad games where he throws three interceptions and fumbles twice or whatever, they lose by like 30 points. But what, what you love about the guy is that he just continues to go out there and just keep slinging it with no, you know, sort of no conscience. Like, well, if you throw another one, it doesn't really matter. He doesn't play it close to vest, even if the game's uh, is out of hand. He just keeps going out there and keeps fighting. And you sort of respect him for that. You know, this was a different situation. This was two interceptions, two fumbles, one fumble loss in a very, very close ball game. Yeah, no, and it was one of those where immediately you think, oh, this is going to go badly from the very beginning. But then the door is cracked open, and there have been too many times, Sage, over the last year and two games that we have seen from Kirk Cousins where there has been opportunities to win that that, that just weren't taken. And you could go back through the schedule last year. Week 17, they have a chance to get into the playoffs. It's a no-show. They score 10 points. You go to Seattle. They hold Seattle to what? I mean, I think it was somewhere in the range of six points in the first three quarters quarters and the Vikings can't win that game. They hold down even New England was not shredding them and they lose that game 24 to 10 last year. The game in Chicago where for the first half the defense plays really well against Mitch Trubisky and that Bears offense. They lose. They have an opportunity to beat New Orleans. They lose. Even the Los Angeles Rams, when the defense didn't play well, they had the ball at the end of the game down by seven points, and they lose. And I guess my question to you, Sage, now that everyone has gotten out their rage and anger toward Kirk Cousins for this game yesterday, is what what now? Right? I mean, what, like, how are we supposed to look at this and find any sort of silver lining or any sort of belief? Because the the my, my feeling from reading Twitter and reading what fans are saying is that they have sort of come to this place of, you know what, this is going to be how it goes. Almost every time this quarterback is in a big game and goes up against a team with a good defense, and what are we supposed to do about that if you're Vikings fans? Like, well, what else are you supposed to say other than just, I guess we wait till 2022. I mean, I guess, Sage, I just don't know what to tell people after that one. Like, this is what he has done for his entire career against good teams in big situations. This is the Kirk Cousins that this team signed to $84 million contract. And it's a, it's a very tough situation right now because if this season continues as it is right now, the Vikings will be 8-8 eight and eight at the end of the season. They won't make the playoffs. And they've got a $28 million guaranteed uh, salary cap hit for next year for Cousins if they choose to try to get rid of him or something. So it's a very, very tough situation uh, this year. It's a tough situation going forward. And the only thing that you can hope is that Kirk does play better. And you know we talk a lot about stats on this show. Uh, I think it's NFL media. and this, The game of football in general, uh, way more statistics-driven than I think, I guess baseball is too, but you know, more than like basketball. But you know, the stats that matter to me are what I would call like clutch stats. And Kirk generally fails in a lot of those. You know, clutch is third down. Clutch mm-hmm. is red zone. Clutch is end of half, end of game. 
And yesterday, uh, he sort of failed on a lot of those. I mean, he, he can play some third downs and did some good things, but uh, in particular, obviously, you know, when you open up the whole segment uh, with the play-by-play of that interception, you know, first and goal at the seven-yard line, you shouldn't you, you shouldn't hear the phrase "Hell Mary" by <laughs> right. the announcer, right? right? It yeah. shouldn't be. He's throwing what. Fourth down, sure, you're throwing up, you give a guy a chance, because we all know in a Hail Mary, it's, you know, sometimes the offense catches him, sometimes the defense catches him, and sometimes the ball hits the ground. That should not be the case on first and goal from a seven for a freshman college quarterback, much less a, you know, eight or nine year uh, veteran. So obviously that was the play of the football game that really cost the Vikings. Uh, there were a lot of other good and bad plays within that game. I just went back and watched it this morning. If you want to start looking at like silver linings, I'll, I will say this. 95% of that game and 95% of the players, I thought the Vikings played really well. Uh, the, obviously, the opening drive, the defense, you know, it, it was way too easy by the Packers. They went boom, boom, boom. It was like four or five plays. They scored a touchdown exactly the way Matt LaFleur drew it up and you know, probably better than what Matt LaFleur drew it up. It was, you know, right off the bat. So obviously, that's not good. But that's the first quarter. That's the first five minutes of the first quarter. You can come back from that, and you can even come back from 21 to nothing, uh, slowly but surely. In the rest of that game, I mean, the Packers were scoreless the entire second half. That's a huge positive. Uh, but when it came down to it on those clutch, clutch plays, uh, Kirk and and I would say mostly Kirk would, did not come through. The defense played really, really well. I, I, there's guys that are showing up. Harrison Smith is all over the place. Uh, I think the, uh, the defense is playing extremely well. Obviously, the running game, that is a monster positive for this football team. Uh, and so if you want to look at Silver Lions, th- this team runs the football extremely well. They're second in the league right now in rushing. Dalvin Cook, if he stays healthy, uh, he, you know, he might rush for – uh, 17, 1800 yards. I mean, he is perfect for this offense. The O line does a pretty good job of, of blocking those guys up front in the running game. But Dalvin can take anything to the house. He also is really good, you know, he's sticking his head down and, and, and driving through for three or four yards and just those ugly black and blue, you know, type plays. But, you know, there's issues in pass protection, there's issues at the quarterback position. Uh, but you got to be happy with the way the team is running the football. And the way the play, team is playing good defense, and they're playing very good defense, and guys are showing up that don't play a ton of defense. You know, Jerron Curse made a lot of plays yesterday. You know, he's a guy that probably wouldn't be playing if the Vikings were, you know, uh, fully healthy at the DB position. But he made some good plays yesterday, and there are a lot of other guys who played extremely well. I thought Kendricks played, uh, you know, well in that ball game. Obviously, Daniel Hunter uh, again terrorizing Aaron Rodgers, and so there's a lot of good positive things applaud that football game. Uh, but it was at the key moments, at the clutch moments in the game, uh, in particular, the quarterback just did not come through. I mean, that's what makes it so bad, Sage, is the fact that when you go through, even last year, how many times did they play mostly good games top to bottom, and yet you saw them come up short? I mean, there, there's quite a few examples of that. And yesterday was another one of those good performances by the defense. No, it was not the 2000 Baltimore Ravens, and it always frustrates me to get tweets well, they gave up 21 points. Look, 21 points is not a lot in the no, it's NFL not. And today. One of them, I believe, was a was a fumble in, in short field. territory, right? Yep. So, yep. you know, you, and again, you turn the ball over, and you know, the quarterback had three turnovers. You know, at the end of the day, the Packers had 335 yards of offense. They they were a little leaky, you know, on the run defense. You know, and then I, I, this is, and we were talking about this, you know, sort of coming into the season with Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers. You sort of saw him. You see him under center more. 
I feel like in years past. You see that, you know, that, that running game. Aaron Jones does a really good job running the football. He plows ahead for four, fives, and sixes a lot. And you'd say run behinds his pads. And then they do a lot more play action than they did in years past. And so, you know, Aaron's numbers are down a little bit, but they're, you know, they're pretty dang efficient on offense. They did, they did not turn the ball over and, uh, and they made enough plays to win. The Vikings had 421 yards of offense, seven yards per play for the Packers, 4.9, 198 yards rushing, 198 yards rushing, 7.3 yards per rush. It's hard to lose when you run that well. It's hard to lose, but it's easy to lose when you have four turnovers, and it's easy to lose when you have eight penalties for 100 yards. And when you have a quarterback that just pulls a complete no-show, and that's my question for you, Sage, is what exactly happened there? I mean, like, how does this happen to Kirk Cousins? And maybe you don't have an explanation because if, I if we did, then we would solve it pretty easily. But when you look at the, the games, and maybe this is just what average players in sports do, like basketball players, if you're an average three-point shooter, you don't make one out of every three, right? You make three in a row, and then you miss three in a row. And maybe that's just what happens to him. But for someone who is so talented as he is and so accurate, and I watch him in training camp, and you watch him when he has games where he's on, and he'll just make throw after throw after throw on the money. And it wasn't just this terrible decision that was an interception, Sage. It was overthrowing Kyle Rudolph, which is almost impossible to do. The guy is an NBA power forward, and you overthrow him. He missed a couple of guys with just high, basic throws that should have been there. So there, there, there are a couple of throws. Let's, let's just go back. There was a, I think it was about a third and seven. And in the NFL and in college football too, they have when you see a lot of cover two coverage. That that means that the the two safeties are deep, and both of the corner players are. They sort of hover around between five, seven, eight yards. Uh, If they don't have any threat to the flat, they will what they call sink back, sink back to fifteen even you know to 18 yards unless there's some sort of uh yes yeah, there's a there's a somebody around a flat route or a wide route by a running back and then they'll come up and because they're responsible for the flat area there was a throw yesterday where adam thielen uh ran what they call a you either call it a circus route but really it's a corner route from the outside you stem inside you get up to about 15 yards and you take it to about 20 23 yards at the sideline that throw Versus cover two. If, if the corner does not sink back, which he didn't, he came up on the flat route, that throw is what you call pitch and catch. That should be easy for an NFL quarterback that's not getting pressure. The Thielen had tons of space around him. There was no pressure on the quarterback. The corner didn't even really make it hard. He really came up way too hard. He's getting coached. That cornerback is getting coached to, hey, you got to sink back further, force him to throw the flat, then come up and make the tackle. But everything was there for the Vikings except for the throw, and it wasn't even close. It was a good two yards from Thielen. He didn't even couldn't even dive at it. It yep. was so far out. Um Another throw that was a huge miss. Again, it was another third and seven. Perfectly drawn up by Kevin Stefanski. It was sort of a deep out route with a high corner behind it. Uh, and that was Stefan Diggs. Uh, you know, again, it's a tougher throw, but you gotta hit him. You gotta give your guy a chance. And you can't overthrow him in that situation. He overthrows Diggs by, uh, by a half yard. Uh, you know, incomplete pass. Those are clutch plays in the football game that aren't just incompletions. Those are, you know, almost turnovers in a sense, uh, because now you have to punt. So he had a couple of those in the football game, much, much less obviously the interception at the seven. The other interception, I thought he had Rudolph open as his first read. He came backside early. Uh, and and the, actually, the, the the far safety broke up that play, and it was tipped and caused an interception. And then the fumble 
that he got back and then the fumble right after that. I mean, if you fumble, you better hang on to the football after that and be you know, extra ball security. Mm-hmm. And he fumbles again. So, you know, it's got to be very, very frustrating in that offensive room today, uh, whether it's a staff room as the coaches or as the players, because so many guys you know, played extremely well, but not everybody did. Uh, Xavier Rhodes, I don't think played good football in that in that game. Uh, there's a lot of things from a coverage perspective, and it wasn't you know him getting beat man to man. It was you know playing uh, a certain coverage and then you know not be not uh, playing his responsibility. And a simple flat route from the one yard line turns into a 15 yard gain. That was on Xavier Rhodes. Uh, there was three or four plays that, that Xavier. The first play of the game, he should have sunk back further and taken away that deep crossing route to to Devontae Adams. That there's a couple plays in the game where he didn't play well and run support as well. Uh, he didn't he didn't play great football. Uh, Rudy's got to be a better job, do a better job blocking, uh, in particular in the run game. He has to be a little bit more physical in, in the blocking scheme. So not everybody played great, uh, but the, the, this team played good enough. They played good enough. The coaches coached good enough to win this football game on the road against their rival, uh, but their quarterback obviously did not. So let's talk about why that might be, because I need some sort of theory, and I know maybe you don't have an answer, but could it be anxiousness? Could it be nervousness? Could it be that he is a tightly wound person and he feels the moment more than other people? Could it be that he desperately wanted himself to be the reason they won? I got that theory from a few people. If we recklessly speculate on why this happens to Kirk Cousins so often, um, I I would like to because it's, it's really fascinating to me, Sage. I think he's an incredibly talented quarterback. And when this team went back and they watched all of his throws and all of his plays, they probably saw a lot of the throws like he made to Stephon Diggs. A lot of the throws in 2017, he made one in Seattle to Josh Doxson. It was just an incredible play. Last year, he had a few throws, especially against Los Angeles, that were just remarkable. There was one against Green Bay that he fits into a tiny window to Adam Thielen that is one of the throws of the year. When I watch NFL Network, it's on one of their promos all offseason. It was such a good throw. And yet, here we are oftentimes talking about a big moment, a big game, where he can't get it done. And this almost feels like cliche, but you go back to uh, he had a chance in 2016 to beat the New York Giants and get into the playoffs. And the Giants, I think, weren't even really that good that year. And he throws two interceptions. He falls apart. He has a QBR of 18 in that game after having a very, very good season in 2016 to miss the playoffs. Does the same thing last year in 2017. I mean, is this something that there is any code that can crack it? I mean, I think if you're a Vikings fan, this has to drive you absolutely up the wall. And it probably does in the building, too, to look at somebody who so consistently lets his team down when he's needed the most. I just cannot imagine the frustration if you are Delvin Cook and and you didn't get the ball in that play. Or if you're Stephon Diggs and he overthrew you when you were wide open running for, it would have been a touchdown if he hits him. I mean, this just happens so often to him. I don't know what the answer is. Well, and like, you know, what is clutch and what is the mindset, you know, the sports psychology mindset of how do you uh, allow somebody to, you know, sort of let their mind go and just let their natural abilities take over? Because when he is on, he's extremely impressive. But when he's off, uh, he doesn't, he looks like a a, a bad backup in some ways. And obviously, he's not a very good athlete. I mean, let's just, let's just get that out of the way. When he runs the bootleg stuff, 
he regularly gets run down by the defensive ends and he has to throw the ball away. We saw twice yesterday Aaron Rodgers, who's an extremely good athlete, I think an underrated athlete, basically the same play by the defensive end, but athletic enough to get around the outside, flip his hips, and make great throws. One to the end to end the game to basically turn into a, a two-minute mm-hmm. offense yep, or yep. a four-minute offense and punt and and uh, you know put the Vikings at their own 10-yard uh, line or whatever with five seconds left. So uh, he's not a very good athlete. He has to be accurate, uh, and he has to make good decisions. And, you know, when the draft stuff comes around next spring, I'll get phone calls from all over the country, and I'll break down these, some of these quarterbacks. And what I go off of is decision-making and accuracy decision making and accuracy and it's the consistent decision making and accuracy uh and you know accuracy is one of those times one of those things that you ha- that is you sort of over time over the course of a game and you know whether you throw for 70% or 60% or whatever you know are you accurate on the throws that are there you know are that that are the guys are open that the the timing is good in the pocket do you have protection are you accurate in the, those throws and are you making good decisions and and yesterday he didn't make you know, great decisions, and he wasn't accurate on some, I said fairly easy throws, and and uh, so yeah, it's again, I, I, I don't, we don't, I can't, I can't sit here and go into the psychology of what's going on in Kirk Cousins' head. I can't. It's like it's that's just that's impossible. Uh, he's going to have to figure that out. The team's going to have to figure that out, uh, or, or else we'll get this this sort of same old performance up and down throughout the year, and there'll be some big yards and big games, but. The question is, how many wins will the stats add up to? Uh, and if you go off of his history, his stats have always added up to somewhere between nine and seven wins, and that's not good enough with this football team, which, again, this team played very good yesterday. And, and I Not think, great, but this team played very good yesterday, definitely good enough to win at Lambeau Field. And I, I think this is the definition of what a 500 quarterback usually is. And where they have these ups and downs, and maybe because Washington had such bad defenses at times, and the Vikings fell behind at times last year, early in games, that the numbers that were put up were not reflective of what Kirk Cousins really is as a quarterback, which is a guy who has his ups and downs almost like you would expect from a backup. And here's my example, Sage. So I pulled up Ryan Fitzpatrick's stats and just looked at his last... 58 starts or or 67 games. And then I looked at Kirk Cousins' last 66 games to try and give me some sort of sample. And the win-loss record is obviously worse for Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I'm not counting this year because his team is tanking. But in terms of his yards per attempt factored for sacks, they're exactly the same. Ryan Fitzpatrick in his last 67 games, 6.81. Kirk Cousins in his last 66 games, 6.81. And I think what you get around to is... You know, did this team kind of get fooled a little bit by the situation that they were in? That they panicked to pay somebody? Did they get fooled by big fantasy statistics that were put up by throws that were made in games where Washington was losing when he had a great left tackle and great weapons and put up all those numbers? I think that's the question that a lot of Vikings fans are probably asking themselves. Last year, when we would talk about this stuff, Sage, I would get tweet after tweet after tweet of people saying. Ah, oh, you're too hard on Kirk. It's Tom Compton's fault. It's Mike Remmers' fault. It's you know Pat Elfline's fault. It's the offensive line. It's the offensive line. And and I think that now there's a very different tenor after this game from Vikings fans where they're saying, you know what, the offensive line wasn't good for sure on the interior again. But at some point we just have to say 
These unexplainable plays are the norm. They're not something that can be coached out of him. And even though you explained in unbelievably football depth why Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski have had it right, and I thought that the, the play designs were good, there were open receivers yesterday all over the place, this is just who Kirk Cousins is going to be, and I don't know what they're supposed to do about it. You can't pass 10 times every game, and so you're treating a $28 million per year quarterback almost like Case Keenum where you're holding on for dear life, hoping that the other team drops the interceptions. Well, and you know, listen, occasionally Case would make a play when the offensive line broke down and yeah. make some really good things happen. He had that sort of playmaking ability within him and, and didn't turn the ball over a ton. Usually it seemed like it was one throw a game. He'd make some terrible decision. Sometimes it would work out and sometimes it wouldn't. But you know, more often than not, he did a pretty good job of uh, you know, of playing for singles and doubles, and occasionally making a you know a big time play. But let's cover. I'd like. I really like to cover the the interception from the seven yard line. You know, you, you think about that. You go back, went back and rewatched it this morning. You know, they had pretty much run the ball on that drive. They got good field position. They ran the ball. They ran the ball. They end up in a third and short. They threw the ball to Kyle Rudolph, who almost dropped it, but then snagged it a couple inches off the ground. They run the ball again a couple times with both Dalvin and Madison. They get the ball down to the seven yard line. You, you would think, you know, if you're coming to fancy, yeah, run the ball again, right? But I will say this seven yard line. Uh, a bootleg on that, that's a good time to run it. Everyone's sort of keen on the run. Those sometimes are the best times. You're probably going to get one-on-one coverage on the outside. Uh, if the play's not there, you have to trust that your quarterback is going to throw the ball away. And, you know, well, one of the things I learned as a rookie, Brian Schottenheimer was my quarterback's coach, and we would talk about, uh, you know, sometimes protecting the play caller. Listen, when you're over there on the sidelines, it's hard to call every play perfect. You know, this is the perfect time to run this, that, or the other. Yep. So the quarterback sometimes, if if in fact uh, maybe the corner didn't didn't call the best play, you protect him just like you try to protect you. You protect the play caller by just throwing the ball away and moving on. And uh, and obviously Stavansky did not get that protection yesterday. A hell mary throw from the seven uh, on first down and, and, and goal. So um, he's got to make better decisions. He's got to be more accurate. Uh, the, the the team does have this style. Will win a lot of games. They might if they have this style and Kirk plays just a little bit better. Yeah, they might win ten or eleven games this year. They really could. This defense looks very very good. If they could stop the run a little bit better, that would be nice. The offensive line is doing a great job in run blocking. You know, again, another guy, Bradbury, uh, obviously did not play very well, at least in the passing game. That's an issue for them. They have to really, they have to be aware through two games, by the way, of protecting their center in pass protection. He struggles. Uh, he's not a big guy. Uh, I think he may, he might try to pass. Uh, protect with his pads a little bit too high. He's probably got to get a little bit lower uh, for leverage, but he's getting pushed back a lot of times in pass protection. His run blocking, very good. And he got called for a holding penalty yesterday. I thought it was crap. Uh, it was a pretty good run block, and he finished the guy off, and, and they up calling a holding penalty. Uh, but, you know, you, you can win. You're not going to have all pros at every position. You can win with a, a rookie center who's not great in pass protection but does a lot of other things well, an offensive line that's run the football well and a really good defense. You can win a lot of football games, but your quarterback has to make good decisions and it has to he has to hit open guys when they're indeed open yeah and that was the feeling that i was having yesterday sages yes uh it's week two and i don't want to freak out and overreact and say you know cut cousins or start Mannion or anything that's just preposterous or something like that 
Um, but I, I do have a feeling that they'll win against Oakland by a lot, and it's at home, and Derek Carr is not that good, and and they'll run over them and win thirty-five to fourteen or something, and then we'll say, oh, well, look at that bounced back by Cousins, and then they'll go to Chicago, and then we'll have more of this, and then they'll, go, you know, I mean, it's just. It's it's almost like you could draw out the map of the season now, and it might end up with 10 wins. I was looking at Ryan Fitzpatrick's career and what he has done at different times to convince teams that he can actually be a good starting quarterback. And with the New York Jets one year, he he went 10-5 and five going into the final week of the season, had a great run, beat the New England Patriots as a member of the New York Jets 26-20 to 20 in a game. And then he went to Buffalo, who was out of the playoffs, went 16 for 37 with three picks, and they missed the postseason. He had everything around him. It was a good team, good wide receivers, great defense, check all the boxes, good coaching staff, everything else. And at the end, Fitzpatrick just couldn't get it done. And I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go with this when you feel like, yeah, this is how this is probably going to play out. And so should we look at it and say, Boy, there's nothing you could really do. Are they wasting this great defense? Are they supposed to hold someone responsible if this doesn't go well when they had to pick versus him and Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater with the knee? And and all these conversations, Sage, just came flooding in yesterday. And we've gone absurdly late to the break here. But I, I don't know where you're at with this because I think it could still be a good team. But I could totally understand with fans if they looked at this season after yesterday and went, Boy, this is just going to be Groundhog's Day. Well, the NFC North is going to be a battle. Every single one of these division games uh, is going to be a close ball game. And, and uh, just by the, by the way the Vikings play, there's going to be a lot of close ball games, which means can't turn the ball over in close ball games, can't miss open guys on third down in, in, in close ball games. I mean, these are going to be nail biters all year. I don't, this is not going to be, if the Vikings win 10 games or, or, or 11 games this year, get to the playoffs. I don't see this being like 2017, where I think in something like nine uh, of those 14 wins, they're up at some point by 16 points or more. In those games, there, there was a crazy stat. I remember at the end of that season, this is not going to be one of those types of years. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of close ball games. Uh, Bailey's got to make those clutch kicks. Kirsch got to make those clutch plays, and they just got to stop turning the ball over, stop, stop fumbling, stop throwing interceptions, because. I don't care how good a defense you have or how good a run game you have. If you turn the ball over four times, you're going to lose 95% of those games. And that, that those are just those are the stats that matter. It's not passing yards or completion percentage, turnovers, and again, like the the red zone, the third downs. Those are to me the key stats that matter. And again, Kirk has to play better. We'll, we'll see if he can, uh, or else we can just take this. Uh, uh, this show that we're, re- that I'm sure you guys are recording, and we can just play it in week six, <laughs> yeah. right? We, and we yeah. play it in week twelve, and yep. we just, you know, not have to do this every single week. And I can go play golf or something. So, uh, <laughs> you know, because it is what it. I don't, I don't want to say it is what it is because we have seen Kirk play well. That Rams game last year, man, he was on fire, uh, and they scored what it was a forty points or thirty eight points. They were lighting it up, and last year at Green Bay, he was lighting it up. But, you know, we, we need them to, to light it up in, in a game where the other team's really good and, and our defense is playing well uh, and we can win by two or three touchdowns and, 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 th- and things like that. So um, I, well, hopefully Kirk plays better next week. That's all you can really say. Hopefully he plays better next week. I, the, the, the nice thing is when you have a good defense and you have a running game, you know it's like rebounding. You can always have an off-shooting night, but dang it, 
you can rebound good every night, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that's one of the things that you don't ever have to have an off night. Uh, and we, we don't need the John Starks three of 18 performance. <laughs> why'd you uh, bring you know, that we up? Need, we need consistency. We need consistency. Yeah, that's so my childhood we, right there. We, we need Kirk to be more consistent. Uh, all right, let's take a break. I'm having all sorts of flashbacks too to the <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick era. And I was just pulling this up of how many times Fitzpatrick has actually had winning games with over 400 yards because it was these, I started in this business in 2012. And it was in Buffalo, and these same conversations. Well, you know, he throws away games with bad turnovers and clueless things, but sometimes he throws for 400 yards, and he's really good. And yeah, Fitzy was like, it's Fitzy like was the like same hot stuff. and cold. He was yeah. hot and cold, but he didn't have this type of team. That's right, the, that's the difference, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm the time, sure if, and that's the thing. The time that he did have this type of team, he lost in Week 17. They missed the playoffs. That's so, right. So uh, he didn't have that this type of football team, and and you know you always have to adjust your strategy. I always felt that in the games I did start. Uh, you know, games are marathons. You can't think of them, at them as a sprint out the gate. You know, you have to be smart early on and sort of see how the game pr- progresses. Uh, and if you feel sort of going into the game, hey. We're a better football team. I think over the course of you know sixty-five plays on offense and sixty-five plays on defense, and how many other special team snaps there are, we'll beat them. I have to sort of you know sort of play it out. And uh, it, but but what matters is again it's, it's those clutch moments, those clutch spots, and and he has to understand what type of football team he has, and knowing his number is called. Hey, we're going to throw the ball here. Uh, you, you have to either execute or get rid of the football and move on and punt. And, and you, we can't have the turnovers. You can't force force balls into tight windows and you have to you have to hit the guys that are open okay i'm going to get arrested if we don't go to break so we'll be right back here you're listening to purple daily matthew collar sage rosenfels on score north football fans it's mackie here for federated insurance you might not know this about me but i've been a business owner a couple different times in my life i can relate to the roller coaster ride the never-ending sea of problems to solve the exhilaration of those incremental wins if you're a business owner i recommend getting to know federated which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be you want a company like federated standing behind your business visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative federated mutual insurance company it's our business to protect your it's purple daily on score north today today he made a couple mistakes but uh you know again the guy made some other, some great throws as well and uh you know the throw to to digs um so uh, he's got all the talent, and we just need to continue to coach him the way that we want him to play. Not exactly the most ringing endorsement I've ever heard uh, from Mike Zimmer there. Matthew Collar and Sage Rosenfels, I think everybody just felt the same way. And Kirk Cousins yesterday stood at the podium and said, yep, that one is entirely on me. And I think the locker room and Mike Zimmer would probably say, uh, yeah, it sure was. And there have been too many of those since he joined the Minnesota Vikings at the beginning of last year. But I do want to discuss other things with you, Sage. And one of them is uh, from your friend, Jeff Schwartz. He tweeted about the penalties that have been called. Um, so he had this number that uh, there were way more penalties 70 penalties accepted and 92 called just before this even final game tonight of the week. And last year, or I'm sorry, going back to 2017. What, what, what type of penalties are we talking about? Just holding all, penalties. All penalties. All penalties. Just all penalties. That there were 92 accepted or 92 called and 70 accepted in week two is gotcha. his stat. And in 2017, that was 51. Like the. 
I, I, 51 accepted penalties. 51 accepted penalties. And in these first two weeks, it's cleared that easily from what it was just two years ago. And I have felt watching and I have felt covering like every single game. I am wincing after every play. Like, are they going to call something here? Please, God, no. And then when you watch the Chicago game yesterday, what an epic refereeing mess if you thought it was bad with the Vikings in Green Bay go look at that one that one regular tackles are getting called as uh as um you know being illegal i mean just bumping into quarterbacks just tackling them normally is getting called as roughing the passer and it led to Chicago winning that game you if you're a Vikings fan you should be just as infuriated about that one as you are about what happened with Delvin Cook yesterday so, so I, it's out game, of control man yeah the the protecting the quarterback thing and yeah obviously i was a quarterback and Took a lot of my a lot of hits, uh, you know, back in the day, and I, I always felt like you know backups are obviously treated differently than starters. They shouldn't be, but they are. You know, Michael Jordan was treated differently than uh, you know the, than, than Tony Kukoc or whatever. You know, when, it, when it was, a foul was called, but I uh, the, the the plays yesterday, they were they were both on they were on Chicago and they were on Denver, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and, and one was a, a huge huge moment at the end of that football game. What's funny is after that game ended, I actually I was going to tweet maybe a video and go find an old video, and I remember the Joe Montana hit. Joe Montana, they're playing against uh, it was San Francisco against uh, the New York Giants. Uh, I think it was Leonard Marshall. You know, Joe like ran out to the right and stopped. It's a famous like NFL films hit where he sort of stops, pulls up, oh, he's yes. about to throw the football, and Leonard Marshall just hits him right in the middle of the back and just smashes him right into the turf. The referee runs up, and that's it. Yep. No penalty. No nothing. Now, of course, the game has changed, and I'm and I'm happy that sometimes they some of these penalties are truly driving guys into the ground, and some of these things I can get that. But when you're just literally launching at the the quarterback, you're you don't hit them in the head. You're not using your head, and you you know whether you sack them or you hit them after they throw the football. That is part of the game, and I, I, I'm very very conscious of, of, of understanding if I was a D lineman how hard that would be. Because if they don't do that, even if they've already thrown the football, if they don't hit it, because you never know, they might do a Brett Favre, uh, Aaron Rodgers pump fake deal and hang on to the ball. And if you let off, now you're, you're costing your football team and your coach is going to be pissed at you. So uh, it is unfair at this point what defensive linemen uh, have to go through to, to hit a quarterback. And again, I, 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 I understand that there's a situations where they can you know, let off a little bit, but I think all three of those yesterday – in that Bears uh, Broncos game, were terrible calls. Quarterbacks, you're in the pocket, you should be hit. It's up. It's the job of the offensive line and the tight ends and the running backs and the the coaching staff to try to keep your quarterback clean. It's also the job of the quarterback to get rid of the football. You know, you know, Tom Brady gets rid of the football so fast because he can read the coverage. They have, you know, they get the ball out quick. Uh, and on their play action, the protection's so good that uh, he doesn't get hit that much, uh, and that's that's a huge bonus for them. And uh, again, I understand protecting the quarterbacks. I understand that in games when the quarterbacks don't play, that the ratings go down, and that's what the, probably this is all actually all about. But you have to let these D linemen play uh, and force the offensive players to get rid of the football and to and to protect the quarterback. So that game felt like last year's disaster penalty.
penalties that were barely touching the quarterback and got called. We saw one against the Packers last year against the Vikings. We saw one against Philly where I believe it was Michael Bennett gently took Kirk Cousins to the ground and got flagged. But then the rules changed halfway through the year and the rules were different in Minnesota yesterday when Daniil Hunter laid out Aaron Rodgers but did not get called for a flag there either. And there was also a a hit in the middle of the back last week by the Falcons against Kirk Cousins that wasn't called. And I don't think it should be, but I don't know what the rules are still after a year of that. And then in Minnesota, Sage, you have this phantom call on Delvin Cook where he kind of bumps into the Packers player and I don't think it impacted the play all that much. They go back and review it and I feel like eventually we're going to get to a point where every time there's a play we have to have referees up in space look at every single player all across the field. I would understand if they looked at the player who caught the ball for offensive interference on a touchdown looking for other players who may have committed things. I mean we have just gone to an outrageous level with this and Dave Campbell from the AP has this stat. 19 penalties for 200 yards in the first two games by the Vikings. And some of them are ridiculous and bad. But many of them are like, come on, what is going on? And I think that there's tangible evidence here, Sage, that you can make a very reasonable argument that despite all of the efforts of the NFL, that the refereeing is worse and more detrimental to the game than it has ever been. And they're trying to fix it, but they're getting in their own way. Well, they're making so many rules that they're causing the officials to call more penalties and, and throw the flag even more often. Uh, by the way, let's discuss the Dalvin Cook play from yesterday. Uh, I, I believe I on Twitter I said it was a national tragedy because it is, in a sense. <laughs> it was. Like, you know, it America, really we was. love football, whether it's college or pros. And if Dalvin Cook, uh, who's not a receiver, he's not a tight end, and I know this play, they had a bunch set to the right. Uh, they had Stephon Diggs to the left by himself. And, you know, usually inside the five-yard line, you get a lot of man-to-man coverage. And so this play is called for man-to-man coverage. And, yes, in a way you could say it's called to sort of create picks, but it's really not. It's really called call, uh, called to and designed so the player guarding Stephon Diggs has to run through traffic. His own guys, the Vikings guys, and at some point Stephon Diggs is going to come open. So, Dalvin Cook is on the right side in that bunch, and his job is to basically run a shallow route coming from, from the other side. He's truly just trying to work. He doesn't even know who he's, you know, if he was trying to block somebody, he doesn't even know who he's trying to block, right? So he's truly just trying to sort of work his way through traffic and puts his hands, uh, you know, somebody puts his hands on him, he puts his hands on somebody else, he sort of bumps into somebody, and they call pass interference reviewable pass interference, Right, not even like pass interference in the field. It was called by an official. They reviewed that, and like, not and not even asked thought, to be reviewed by anybody. Yeah, I think yes, I think we all thought that when they had this sort of reviewable pass interference call, which I always thought was a terrible idea, because you could just like you could might as well start calling uh, reviewing holding penalties now. You could call it on every play. You can call pass interference. You could call pass interference on the interception, uh, but by, by King in the end zone on, on, on from a first goal at the seven on on him and Diggs probably right. I mean, there's you're you're opening up a whole uh, can of worms uh, to to have all these reviews. And on that play, uh, they I, I never thought that they would possibly be able to call pass interference on somebody who didn't catch the, like, uh, in particular, offensive pass interference on somebody who was really not involved in catching the football. It wasn't a one-on-one thing where they go back and review it and they say, oh, uh, the receiver actually pushed off and that's pass interference in the offense. No, 
This is pass interference on somebody else completely. And also, again, reviewed not by the Packers, reviewed because it was a scoring play by the NFL in general. I think this is a terrible way to go. It's going to cause a whole whole bunch of penalties. And the NFL is so concerned about ratings and all these different things and money from TV. The product is going to be is slowly becoming harder and harder and more. It's just annoying to watch that they're just constant flags all the time. And uh, to me, that was uh, a national tragedy, not because of that one play, but because that is going to then open up uh, all types of plays just like this. And as the season goes on, there's going to be tons and tons of them. And at some point, there's going to be a play deep in the playoffs where it's going to be just like this and somebody completely random, even possibly away from the play, is going to be called for offensive pass interference that may have nothing to do with the actual play itself. Yeah, I think you laid that out perfectly, that it is it is a monster that we let out of a box and now is killing us all. And for no make, reason. And make Yeah, right, it's not making no the reason. game better. This was not something that people were like, oh, yeah, I wish there were more offensive pass interference <laughs> called. I think right. the defense, like, for no reason. I, I, to review pass interference because of, again, it's like the, uh, the over... Uh, they jumped to this huge change because of one terrible play uh, at the end of that Rams yep. Saints game and, and the NFC Championship game. If you want to do it, you know something like that, where it's in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter or these you know sort of key moments, understandable. Uh, but what they're doing now, I, I think, is again, you know, if you want to call it open up uh, Pandora's box or yeah. a can of worms or whatever, we're going to create a whole bunch of. Uh, less fun to watch TV, I'll tell you that. Okay, quick break. We'll come back. Teddy Bridgewater is going to play in New Orleans, but I have some bad news about that. We'll return in just a moment. Here you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. All right, Score North download time. It is powered by Modest Brewing Company. And uh, Mike Zimmer was asked by our very own Judd Zolgad yesterday after the Vikings game uh, what the head coach thought about Kirk Cousins' performance. And uh, Zim was very, very quick with his answer. I think it was up and down. You know, he had some good throws and he had some misses. And, you know, the turnover in the end was the worst one. Yeah, Coach, I I agree. If you're uh, going to a Twins game, check out Modest Brewing, located only two blocks from the Target Field Station. Modest is known for serving a wide variety of -of one-of-a-kind, super drinkable craft beers. For our full menu of craft beers, go to modestbrewing.com. That's your Score North download. Worst part of the Titanic was when it sank. That was the worst part. The other parts were <laughs> up and down. <laughs> the sinking was the baddest part. Um, Matthew Gollard, uh, Sage Roosevelt's for a few more minutes here. Sage, I have some bad news about Teddy Bridgewater starting. 
Uh, Drew Brees goes down. It looks like his hand is going to keep him out for six weeks. Teddy goes in yesterday, a bit of a struggle against Los Angeles. Defense didn't help by getting Marshawn lynched by Cooper Cup. Uh, he was like throwing guys, and it was weird. But, you know, so Los Angeles took off at the end of that game. The Saints lose. Teddy has to come in, having not really started real football games. He started one in Week 17 last year, but really started since 2015 and face Seattle on the road, maybe the toughest atmosphere in the NFL. The Cowboys in Week 4 on Sunday night football, again, one of the best defenses in the league. The Bucks, who are not a joke, at the Jaguars, a great defense. At the Bears, a great defense before playing the Cardinals. And then the bye week, and after that, probably Drew Brees comes back. Um, So welcome back to the NFL, Teddy, right? Yeah, he doesn't have uh, the best schedule uh, to, to go against. And, you know, good football teams, all those teams are 2-0 and right now, or their defenses are ranked in the top 10. Uh, but the good thing is he has, of course, all that experience. And, you know, he's not a, he is not your typical backup. Uh, you're probably the best, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, backup quarterback in the league. He's also making $10 million or something. Seven and a half, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll, you know, obviously a lot for a backup quarterback. So they, they, I think they do see him. Uh, as a possibly the future, you know, of this franchise, depending on how long Drew Brees plays, it looks like Drew is going to be out for a good, uh, you know, two months or something like that. So, got a good football team though. If you're if you're going to go in uh, and play uh, and try to play well, playing for the Saints, playing for Sean Payton, playing in that dome, uh, that that's a pretty good place to be in a division. That's not a great division. I, you know, I think Atlanta, who the Vikings destroyed in Week One, they might be the best team in that division. I think. Carolina's not very good. Tampa is not very good. So uh, I, I think he's got a pretty good spot uh, to, to win some football games. But you know, obviously, he's going against some some very very good defenses. Uh, in particular, I, I think that Dallas Cowboys team. I tell you what, I, I don't like giving the Dallas Cowboys too much credit. <laughs> They're good. They're a good team. They're real good. And Dak Prescott's good, like really good. And he's going to make like forty million dollars a year pretty soon. They got the running game. They got the offensive line. Their defense is legit, and they're young, uh, and, and they can rush the passer. They can stop the run. They they truly have a full football team. And you know, on top of it, Dak does a lot of things that he's a good passer. But you know, inside the ten yard line or in, you know third and twos, they're not scared to let him run the football. He's you know he's compact. He's a strong guy, sort of like Donovan McNabb. Where they're willing to, you know, put him in harm's way for a key first down or, or for a touchdown inside the, inside the, you know, 10 yard line. So he really adds a lot of good things, uh, to that football team. And he's been a very accurate passer. And now they've got a new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, who was a backup quarterback for a long time. Obviously backed up Dak and went from quarterback coach to now the offensive coordinator, one of the younger coordinators uh, in the league, and has done some really good things. They do a lot of the, you know a lot of zone stuff, but they also have been really heating up that play action game. Uh, is something you see a lot of these teams doing right now is this play action type stuff. So I think the Dallas Cowboys might be uh, you know one of the top three or four teams in the NFL. Yeah, I read a great breakdown from a friend of the show, Derek Klassen, who writes for Football Outsiders on that Dallas offense, and it seems to be the perfect mix with Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott and I've I have been on the Dak Prescott is good train for a while and I'm not jumping off and uh, so it's going to be tough 
It's going to be really tough for Teddy. I think if he wins half those games, that would be a huge win for him, which is usually what we say about career backups. But uh, in his case, it's hard to say how quick he'll bounce back and if the timing is right, considering how long it's been. So that will be uh, for sure something to watch. Sage, awesome, awesome stuff. As always, breaking it down. Uh, We will get together again on Wednesday. Thanks for your time, man. Looking forward to Wednesday and looking forward to Journeyman Quarterback Wednesday yes, as well. Yes, yes. Oh, and the Raiders. I mean, op- options galore on Wednesday for Journeyman Quarterback of the Week. So look forward to that. Thanks, Sage. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Judd Zelged has Vikings law and order, and he has accusations to throw around. Indictments are coming down. It's going to be nuts. We'll be right back. Here you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. On Purple Daily, our coverage is represented by two separate but equally important groups, the reporters who gather information and the analysts who criticize the team. These are their stories. I would say that we never dreamed we would have so much to work with on a Monday after Green Bay, but the minute that a bartender poked Judd in the stomach while eating a prime rib and said, you're going to be full for a while or whatever, uh, we knew it was going to be weird in Wisconsin. And it was super weird in Wisconsin. Judd Zolgad, a lot of things happened from this game, but uh, the main focus has been Kirk Cousins and his interception. And you have... For here, for Vikings or NFL Law and Order, you have handed down indictments, you have writs, you have uh, uh, meetings in the chambers of judges. Yes, I'm writing new football law, Matthew. You are taking this to the highest level. Yes, yes I am. And I plan on, much like my guy Jack McCoy... Winning on all counts. All right. Well, let's hear the accusations then that you have brought before this court, Mr. Zolgad. The bill of in, the bill of indictments you will see right here is serious and it's written out. Okay. And I've given this great thought. And I called you this morning with what I thought I was going to charge people with. And I have even taken it up a notch from there. <laughs> Number one, I am trying Gary Wayne Kubiak. That's right, I'm involving middle names because this is official crap right now. Gary Kubiak? Gary Wayne Kubiak for gross negligence of a quarterback's ability. If you look up the definition of gross negligence, having our guy Kirk, who by the way does not get off scot-free, I thought he might, but he doesn't, on first and goal from the Green Bay 8 with 5.17 left in the fourth quarter is gross negligence of one's quarterback's ability. All right? Now, hang on. Mm-hmm. You're accusing Gary Kubiak of this. Gary Wayne Kubiak. Gary Wayne Kubiak. Let's, let's keep the middle name in but here. This is a serious but, indictment. Now, he is not the offensive coordinator. He's not the play caller. He's I, not yep. on the sideline. He's yep. not the one with the headset. Yep. Gary Wayne Kubiak. I'm not done yet. Is not that guy. I'm not done yet. Okay. Okay. More indictments to come. More indictments to come, but I'm going to... Lenny, Lenny Briscoe's uh, investigation has come up with more than you're telling me. Yes, yes. And now I move. I move because I am charging, and you're right, it seems a bit odd. You say, why are you charging Gary Wayne Kubiak with a crime that technically we don't, we don't think he could have committed, but yet I do. <laughs> I am placing one, and I can't find his middle name, so I apologize. I can't either. I was just looking. I am placing one, Kevin Stefanski... 
in protective coordinator custody. <laughs> I am moving that Gary Wayne Kubiak lose control of Kevin Kevin Stefanski, protective coordinator custody, because I need to get him out of there. I'm not indicting him. I'm moving to I'm moving to save him from himself. Okay. Uh, now Kirk Cousins did testify at the podium that the sideline believed they should have run instead of passed Correct. in that situation. Correct. So does that help your case in terms of accusing uh, Gary Kubiak of, of, what is it, child abuse or something? What is it? Gross negligence Gross of a negligence. quarterback's ability, but I want to place young Kevin Stefanski in protective coordinator custody, but I'm not done yet. Oh, I, okay. I, I, have amended, I have amended an indictment that I told you I was going to make this morning because my, 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 original, my original thought on Kirk was I was going to make him an unindicted co-conspirator of what happened yesterday in the fourth quarter at Lambeau. But you know what? Upon further thought, I am going to charge him with fraud, impersonating a National Football League quarterback. Everybody goes down here. Everyone's going down. I'm saving Stefanski, Gary Wayne Kubiak, and oh, by the way, Kirk Daniel Cousins. You are on trial. All right, let's explain then why you're uh, accusing them and indicting them and whatever. I'm Jack McCoy. I can charge anybody I want. You can. Yeah, you're. uh, Boy, I didn't think so little power could go to someone's head, but it has. Uh, Anyway, so the play call is what's the matter here. (laughs) Yes. All being done for. Yes. uh, Is. That you believe that they should never have had Kirk Cousins throw the ball in that situation. Is that what you're telling me? That is absolutely correct. And, and it's gross negligence because you should have seen. I realize that in a perfect world, he's a veteran quarterback who should be able to throw that pass without completely screwing it up. But we had watched for Matthew Collar from the press box in Lambeau Field for three plus quarters, Garrett Bradbury and company get literally tossed aside. So the negligence is in how did you not consider that that was going to happen yet again and something was going to break down and your quarterback who who was having a terrible day who lots of times makes I think what we could fairly call rash decisions was going to do it again. This is why everybody everybody is being charged except for my guy Stefanski. I just want to save him from himself. <laughs> All right. Okay, fair enough. Uh I think if I had to guess Kevin Stefanski called that play, but there were also comments about, oh, we liked something we saw. So what does that mean exactly? I'm not sure. Um, Now, that's a very standard type of thing to do in that situation. When you've been running successfully, you give the opponent a very similar look and you run a play action off of that. You roll out. A bootleg is a fairly safe play where you can roll out into space and throw it away if you want to throw it away, which is what he clearly should have done. Or even if the play had come on time, he might have been able to find Adam Thielen. Or even you give Thielen a 50-50 ball underneath of Diggs and he might be able to knock it down. But throwing a floater into the end zone all the way to the back where the Green Bay player had easy position on Stephon Diggs, it really just gave... Uh, Diggs no chance to even knock it down. He couldn't even play cornerback because uh, of just how the ball was floating short of where he was. Um, I, I don't see any way with his momentum that he could have stopped and made a play on that ball. I'm, I'm sure that he felt like that based on some of his comments after the game, um, but you know, there was no chance for anybody to do anything there. Kirk basically just threw it to the other team. So based on his history, I think that would have to be a major part of your argument here is 
it, this isn't the first time. This isn't a random mistake by a great quarterback. This is a quarterback who has routinely done some of the most bizarre and incomprehensible things on football fields that I've ever seen. Hence the Ryan Fitzpatrick comparison from yesterday and our first hour is that's why I was so reminded of Fitzpatrick yesterday because just things, throws, decisions, fumbles that you cannot explain. And you can go over them and say, here's what he did wrong, here's what he did wrong, and he can tell us at the podium a bunch of times, here's what I did wrong, and he says, well, next time I'll do it this way. But the next time has gone on for four or five years now as an NFL starter, and you still continue to do these things. So I would say that my ruling on this is that you can't call that play in that situation. You cannot put it in Kirk Cousins' hands, and here's why. That drive begins at the Minnesota 40-yard line. There's a 5-yard run, Mm -hmm. and then there's a 10-yard run. Mm -hmm. Two two plays later, there's a 6-yard run, and then there's an 8-yard run. And then there's a 14-yard run. Like, you were just trucking them. And you were tiring their front out. Right. Their front could not, at that point, handle Delvin Cook smashing it down their throats. And there are very few times in the NFL where you say that. But Delvin and Alexander Madison on that drive wore down Green Bay. The Packers' offense had been horrendous in the second half. All they had did is given the ball away, punts and fumbles and everything else. And so Green Bay's defense had been on the field for freaking ever at that point. And all you basically have to do is knock down the final domino and you go into the end zone and and you win, more likely than not. Mm -hmm. The Vikings had possession in that game for... Actually, they they only had 25 minutes of possession. I expected it to be more. But on that drive, they just wore them down and they continued to run the ball. They finished with about 7 yards a run. 198 yards, and your answer is to put it in the hands of a guy who in these situations really, really struggles. So I think that you absolutely can say, It's negligent. I know you paid a lot for him, but you knew this could happen. Right. Right. And, yeah, he's, having a ter- and he's having a terrible day, and you know that if he's asked to pass, there's a good chance that a line that actually was doing a pretty good job of run blocking, or certainly was sufficient, Right was struggling in pass protection, which we saw throughout the afternoon. So, yes, negligence. I moved to save Stefanski. And Kirk, hold on a second. Daniel Cousins was impersonating. <laughs> he was impersonating an NFL quarterback. Uh, That's he, the lesser charge. I'm yeah. not sure I'm not sure that I can win that one. But Gary Wayne Kubiak's going to be doing hard football time. So they adapted the... Um... QBR from yesterday from Cousins, I believe, to an eight. Oh, did it go four? <laughs> it changed it a little Thanks bit. Thanks a lot. I'm sure they, that's they, fantastic. They tweaked it. Uh, and I'm, I've been going through his game logs for his career and mm-hmm. trying to find any other game that would have been this bad. And it's hard to find one that, that would have been so abysmal as what happened yesterday. And so there's two ways to look at this. Uh, last year, his lowest QBR of the entire season, so 1 to 100 scale, and it's based on how you perform in certain game situations. Not perfect, um, but his PFF grade was just as poor. Uh, Buffalo last year, consider how bad that was. He was even higher than he was in that game. So he was an 11 against Buffalo last year. You even go back to 2017, which was not the best year for Kirk Cousins, and I found an 8.6 in the final week of the season against the New York Giants on December 31st, where he threw three interceptions, no touchdowns, three sacks, 
and a, a QBR of 8.6. But he still got an 8.6. So he got upgraded to an 8 for yesterday from a 4? Yeah, let me double check on that. Okay. Because uh, yesterday at the end of the game it was a 4, but it got listed on their game log as an 8.3. So they must have adapted it okay. based on, I'm not sure what exactly, how their formula works. But Still not any good. An so. 8.3 is... Yeah. Uh, it's out of a hundred. Um, that means the quarterback gave you zero chance to win the football game in all of 2016. His lowest was an 18.3. But here's the problem, Judd. It came in a game that they needed to win to go to the playoffs, and he had an 18.3 QBR. Mm-hmm. And then we go to last year in a game they needed to win to go to the playoffs. He had a 23.5. The week before against Detroit, it was an 88. He played great. <laughs> Against yep. Detroit, and yep. it didn't matter. Yep. So now we have, you know, key division games. Yep. Last year in Chicago, he actually his QBR in Chicago was not horrendous last year, but the play was the two interceptions were bad. There's just so many instances of games that matter where he falls apart that I I don't know what to say about this. I, I need right. this is where I need you to help me. Oh, I can't I, I can't help you. I. I I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm I'm watching that week 17 when he was in Washington oh, yes. at at the Meadowlands. Yes, I just saw the first interception he threw, and my God, I mean, it's, I mean, this is what he does. Good and, Lord! And so my question is, what exactly are we supposed to do here when it comes to covering Kirk Cousins? When it comes to if you are a Vikings fan and you want this very, very talented team to win, and they are. We saw all of it yesterday. We saw Everson Griffin had 11 quarterback pressures, which is the highest in the NFL so far this season. He mauled David Bakhtieri. I mean, David Bakhtieri, after that game, might have to retire. It was just just a killing, though, from Everson Griffin. It was an incredible game from him. Daniil Hunter with the sack. Harrison Smith made several game-saving plays that you and I in the press box just went, oh my gosh, what a play by Harrison Smith. And that's just on the defensive side. On the offensive side, I mean, we see Brian O'Neill emerging as a very good tackle. We see Delvin Cook looking like the best running back in the entire NFL. He leads the league in rushing today as we wake up. So this is a great team. This is a team that could do all sorts of things. That It could be an NFC Championship team again. But you have a quarterback who incessantly throws games away when they mean the most and in the situations that matter the most. And if you told me this... Like, if you tried, if you didn't, if I didn't cover any of the games and I just called you and I said, Judd, what do you think of Cousins? I mean, I just, I'm looking at his fantasy numbers where he looks pretty good. And you tried to say this to me, like, actually, in the biggest situations, he throws the ball away. I'd be like, okay, whatever. Right. It would almost be hard to explain because it seems like analysis from the 80s, right? Like, when sports talk radio first started, someone would be like, this guy's not clutch, you know, right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we've done so much work to move on from this guy isn't clutch, you can't believe in him because it usually gets debunked. But the more times it happens, the more you can't help but look at it and say, yeah, that is the case when he plays the biggest games is usually when he comes up the shortest. And plus you see it now on a weekly quarter-by-quarter basis. So if, if you talk about him in his time in Washington and you're a Vikings fan, you're basically trying to look at stats and you might watch a game or two, but you don't watch him consistently. And now that you watch him consistently, you can see the uh, the problems there. But I can explain it. In fact, the box score. In fact, the play-by-play sheets of yesterday explain Kirk Cousins. Because I will tell you what I told you yesterday. Kirk Cousins' problems aren't with his arm. They're not with his body, really. They start between his ears. 
And I will give you the drive that proves it. And I believe that this is Kirk in a nutshell. Because keep in mind, Kirk is always trying to convince Kirk he's good. He's, he's telling us that, but he's trying to convince himself. Deep down, he looks in the mirror and says, I can do this, right? But the problem is there's a question mark there. So let me give you, in the play-by-play sheet, the series in which Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins at his best, and there is a reason why. 21-7, to and then, and then there's that bizarre sequence in which the Packers run a fourth down play and get thrown for a two-yard loss, and it's the yes. basically the end of the first half, and the Vikings get the ball back, and the Vikings go right down the field. It's impressive. It's 21-7. to There's no pressure there. The pressure's gone. They're down by 14. He, he for a moment, is thinking to, to himself, well, I, I'll, okay, I'll just go do this. He's not thinking. He's reacting. He's playing football. But then they pull within 21-10, and now the pressure mounts again, right? And the moment that he threw that stupid pass on Sunday, the world in his mind, the weight of the football world, the Vikings world, was on him, Mm -hmm. and he screwed it up. I honestly believe, because physically we see the throws, and he's a tease. He'll tease you. He's made two throws in the first two games, right? Both to Diggs against the Falcons, too. He made a throw to Diggs that was absolutely great. I really believe that this guy's issues start in his head and they are largely the product of the more he feels the pressure to perform, he falls apart. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, Matthew Collar, you can change that. I don't think you can. Some guys make dumb decisions, but they can be great players, i.e. Brett Favre. Because Brett Favre would throw picks and for the most part, Brett would be like, I just threw another pick. Kirk Cousins weighs everything. But look at how he lives his life. He journals, right? He studies everything meticulously. And that's fine if that gets you to to a result that you want to be at. But I really think that in the end, in Kirk's brain, there is so much going on about don't screw this up. I'm good, right? You you like that? You like that? Mm-hmm. That's Kirk Cousins talking to Kirk Cousins. I think he is a mental mess at a position that mentally will try anybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, that's it's... really. But I, I, you know, the second the second quarter at the end there, he just got he just went and played football, and then the pressure got dialed back up, and now it's a problem. Look at the last game against the Bears. So my question is, what what are you supposed to do about this? I mean, what as a Viking fan would anyone have to grip onto here? Would it just be, well, the team is good enough to at least put you in position for him to do this again? I mean, right? How do you get to any other conclusion at this point? And this is the thing. So last year, I totally understood it, and I enjoyed the conversations we had where we would talk about how, yeah, well, he does some of this stuff, and here's where the shortcomings are getting them, and the red zone has been a problem, and that's where your indictment comes of the play calling is. This isn't the first red zone issue Kirk Cousins has had in his life. He's always had these as a starting quarterback. I just want to know what I'm supposed to say about this. I mean, because it's another instance of a big game that goes down the drain, and he properly diagnoses all the things that he should have done differently, and he knows them, and he apologizes Apologizes for them even at the podium. And then he will go out in two weeks in Chicago, very likely, and have this same issue where it's a good team, it's a good defense, and usually they don't let you off the hook. Where bad teams, if he does this against Oakland, will let him off the hook. The Jets last year let him off the hook for having a really bad day, but probably good teams are not going to do that. And so am I supposed to? Come here today on in week two, where it's still 
only week two in a team that Courtney Cronin, Alex Boone picked for 11 wins, you and I picked for 10 wins. I mean, are we supposed to say, sorry, folks, shut it down till 2021 when they can start Justin Herbert, who they traded up for. So, I mean, what, like, is that what we're supposed to say about this? I, I mean, I, I really don't know because I don't want to try and convince you that it's not real. It's stupendously real that he has these big situations and falls apart. But I also don't want to be in the place where we get sometimes with the Minnesota Wild, where it's like, oh, they're a hockey team still. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that first round out. And then we, right? It's just a miserable place to be in. And to make the wild comparison, there were times where we were convinced that it could be better when they hired Bruce Boudreaux and he got everybody going and they were coached better than they had ever been before. And the result ended up being the same, Mm -hmm. which is they lost in the first round of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And I wonder like, what would have to happen to get Vikings fans to that place? Because I think we are almost there right now with this. I think a loss in Chicago could do this. And think about this schedule that they're going to have to play. It's not necessarily the names of the teams that they can't beat, but think about how many of these games are on prime time or that are going to be at 325 where everybody is watching. And the expectation going into each one of them from fans is probably just wincing, like just waiting to see if he can come through. And so I guess maybe the place that I have to get to with it is, Judd, that he will have every opportunity to prove that this is not the truth with him at this season. But and and if he doesn't, that's the end of that. If if I was to counsel fans, which would probably be a, a great idea because it would be great fun, I would tell them this. I would tell them the Super Bowl. In fact, your parallel, which I brought up on Vikings Ventline today and said the exact same thing, your parallel to the Wild is perfect. Now, the players are not the same as far as what they can do in their skill sets because Cousins shrinks totally. But at some point in time, Wild fans had to accept Parisi and Suter didn't work. Like, it got you to the playoffs, but it didn't work. The goal was Stanley Cups, right? So with Cousins, the goal was this is the final piece, right? And so this is going to get you, we thought, that this might get you to a Super Bowl. It's not going to. That does not mean you can't make the playoffs. You can. This defense is good enough. Dalvin Cook is good enough. And if you if you manipulate... Look, if the quarterback had been manipulated absolutely correctly yesterday, you could have won that game. I think Dalvin Cook scores there. Yeah, I, I really do. Yeah. I, I don't think, I think that that's does. going outside the scope to say. So if it had been manipulated correctly, you could have won that game. So I think in counseling Vikings fans, what I would say is you can still make the playoffs. That's not done. But to think the window is open for a championship is foolish. It's not. It's not unless you make a miraculous run and something really weird transpires, and Kirk's not going to change enough. All right, let's take a quick break. Got a couple of hot routes. Going to be a, a quick abbreviated one, and then I want to look at these these other big situation games this year. I, I want I want us to go through them and look at them a little more closely in this moment after he failed in his first attempt with good DTs. And and, and what do we and what do we expect? Right, what do we expect? Like which one of these can actually be one or Pain. which which one of them will have to be won by defense and interceptions and so forth and Delvin Cook, basically. All right, let's uh, take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Drink the purple punch. It burns your insides and it makes your eyes water. Purple Daily on Score North. Scorenorth.com. 
caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Street! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Routes on Purple Daily. 5880-397! Okay, I want to take a look at these primetime games that are coming up. Basically, opportunities for Kirk Cousins to prove that what we're saying about him and what fans are feeling about him today is not true. That there will be plenty of chances remaining on the Minnesota Vikings schedule to go for him to show that he can step up and have... Big games, in big situations, under the brightest lights, in the division, et cetera, et cetera. There are many an opportunity for him going forward. So we're going to look at those in a second. But first, ramp it up, Manny. A couple of quick hot routes for you guys, because what a crazy day yesterday. Lots changing around the NFL. Let's start with Patrick Mahomes. If only someone had known that Mahomes would not regress and picked him number one in the touchdown draft. Oh, wait, I did. Good job, me. Seven touchdowns. for me. Seven touchdowns in Unfair. the first two weeks. 821 yards passing. This is the MVP from last year. 5,000 yards throwing. He had a uh, across-the-body throw that probably traveled 40 or 50 yards in the air to somebody and was <laughs> right on the money yesterday. He is breaking football. He plays like Michael Vick on Madden 04, is what Patrick Mahomes plays like. And uh, I want to know from you guys what his final stat line will be this year. Pat Mahomes. All right. Uh, he, he threw for 5,000-plus yards last year. Yeah. I'm going to go at this ridiculous rate that he has uh, gone through two games. I'm going to give him right around 6,000 yards passing. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> and 65 touchdowns. What? What? He's at. He is throwing touchdowns at a ridiculous rate right now. So why not? And then I will say he throws 10 picks. He would have to average 375 yards per game to get I know, to 6,000. But it's absolutely crazy. It's, absolute, it is it's crazy. absolutely crazy. It is crazy. And, and he is, as the kids like to say, he is breaking the game. So why not? I believe, I believe, I thought somebody might slow him down a little bit, but there ain't no slowing him down. He, no. he basically had one good quarter on Sunday, and look at his final statistics. They're ridiculous. Imagine if he had put together, like, and he will do this, four quarters like that. Yeah. It's going to break the game. 6,000 yards, 65 touchdowns, 10 picks. Congratulations, Chiefs. Uh, I actually mildly buy the 6,000 yards part. 65 touchdowns is a lot, man. I, I think that's 15 more th- than he threw last year, right? He threw 50 last year. Yeah. What the heck? Okay, I'll go I'll go 5,700 passing yards and 51 touchdowns and nine interceptions. It's ridiculous. It's just unreal. I'm going to go in that kind of ballpark. I'll go 54 touchdowns and 5,600 yards. Breaks the all-time record, right? Yeah, easily. Uh, And, yeah, I think he'll do that. And and just the only thing that would make him not do that is if they went into Week 17 where they were so far ahead of everybody else and they just sat Mahomes, which I wouldn't blame them. Um, But if there's a race there, not sure there will be all the way to the end, then I could absolutely see Mahomes throwing for 55 or 5,600 yards. And this is is the thing. With his talent, this is like Brett Favre playing in the modern era. So it's even more safe and more West Coast and more screens and easy yards to go along with the outrageous throws. So there's not as much effort that's really required. You just have to hit the big ones when you have a chance to hit the big ones, and he does that. 
Yeah, I th- I think we're looking at one of the all time great players here. No no regression from all time no. great quarterbacks. He's going to be thirty five years old with like six hundred career touchdown passes it's, and already have yeah, the record. It's like, uh, ridiculous. It's okay, next one. Ben Roethlisberger out for the year. Mason Rudolph will start for the rest of the season. Should the Steelers try to out tank the Dolphins and look to draft number one overall now that Big Ben is out for the year? No, because I don't think you can. The Dolphins are perfecting this. This is the most, and because this takes a plan from day one. They, this team has planned since May or something. They are tanking so well. They've got a player starting in their secondary in Fitzpatrick, who, by the way, is marketing himself as he's starting for them because he's soon to be gone. You know, it sounds great, and I love the idea of tanking. I'm all for tanking, but the Miami Dolphins got you beat this year. The Miami Dolphins are are going to one-up the Tigers in baseball as far as tanking <laughs> experts. So, I love the idea, but Pittsburgh, I think it's too late. Yeah, I think it would just be really, really hard. I think the Steelers are almost too talented to be 1-15 yeah. or whatever it would probably take to be worse than the Dolphins. I mean, Rudolph actually did okay yesterday, too, when he came in. So, I... They have kind of the look of like a six and ten type of team the rest of the rest of the way. Now I wouldn't be surprised if you guys are absolutely right, and if they trade for Ryan Fitzpatrick or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, you know what, it would actually be a good idea is if you called the Dolphins and said, "Look, we know you're going to draft Tua, so why don't you trade us, Josh Rosen?" And then you could see if you can make it work, and maybe you can go nine and seven and get into the playoffs, or maybe you find your future quarterback after Ben, or maybe you don't. And he's terrible, and then you draft high. That's what I would be looking to do. Um, but if you're not going to be able to do that, draft someone who could be a future quarterback for you. Then lose, lose, and more lose. It's just that the Steelers won't. I think they're too proud of a franchise yeah. to try and yeah. shut it down. And maybe Mason Rudolph is good. Maybe he's not. I don't think he is. But uh, that's what I would be doing if I were them. I would try to trade for Rosen, give him a few weeks on the bench, and then see if you can maybe be 500 at, at some point and see if you have something there. If the Dolphins aren't going to use him because they're drafting Tua next year. All what right. about Tomlin, too? I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, is yeah. He... I mean, are you supposed to fire him after this year when he doesn't have his quarterback? Right. Like, what do you, what do you, they, suppose, how are you supposed to handle it? I don't think they will. They just don't fire coaches, though. Uh, my that's ridiculous. Speaking yeah. of coaches getting fired, my favorite coach in the National Football League, Doug Marone. To the shock and awe of anyone who's covered him in the past, totally stunned, couldn't believe my eyes, got in a fight with a player, Jalen Ramsey, on the sideline yesterday. I just got, it's almost like, who could have seen the warning signs with Doug Marone? Uh, how many more weeks we given him? Oh, Doug Marone, I 0-2. He's already came into the season on the hot seat. He's a disappointment. Tom Coughlin could always move downstairs, even for a brief time period. I would say Doug Marone has through week six. I don't give him a lot of time. This He's an easy fire, too. That's not going to be a tough one to fire, I don't think. And players, I think, at some point soon will start trying to save themselves and blame the coach. Sure. And that might have already been happening. One of the most disrespectful things I've ever seen yesterday toward a coach was not Jalen Ramsey, who was just upset after a call or something. I'm not sure the context. But one of his teammates, when Marone tried to come over and talk to Jalen Ramsey, one of his teammates stood up and pointed and told Marone, get back over to that sideline. And it was like, wow. I mean, to have another one of his teammates stand up and go, get out of here. Are you saying your guys lost control? Are you saying Doug Marone's lost control in Jacksonville? Uh, I, who could I would have, have fired him after last who year. Who could have predicted it? Uh, 
the uh, Jaguars and Titans will be playing their annual Thursday night matchup. Oh, can't uh, wait. Coming this Thursday. Bart Scott, can't wait. Thursday every single year, it seems like. I think they're going to lose that one. They're going to lose that Denver the next week. They're going to lose that Carolina the next week. And I think uh, when the New Orleans Saints then come in on uh, October 13th and uh, put the Jaguars at 0 and uh, 6. That's when it's over. Yeah. That's, what, that's when yeah. it'll be over. I agree. Six games. Yep. yep. Uh, last one for you guys in an abbreviated hot routes here. With so many goofy things that happened yesterday, Rodgers, we missed this. Rodgers and Lafleur had a little bit of a scuffle yesterday. They just showed it up. Yeah. And do uh, you guys think that that situation is going to fall apart soon? I mean, there were some weird decisions that happened from the Packers yesterday, and they tried harder than I've ever seen a team to give away a game that they did not lose. I, I don't think it will because I think if there's any consternation that is truly occurring between the two that LaFleur is going to back off because he wants the job. And and with Aaron Rodgers' contract and status there, I don't I think he's LaFleur has to be smart enough to know that for now there's no power struggle he's going to win. And so butting heads with Rodgers makes no sense. So I think it will work. It doesn't mean that they, they're going to live in harmony together. But I think in the short term, LaFleur is going to be told, hey, you were brought here to help this guy. He's got this contract. We're trying to make it work work as best as possible. So I do think it works. It doesn't mean that there's not some uh, turmoil, but I'm not expecting it to blow up. Yeah, LaFleur just kind of strikes me as a he strikes, he strikes me as a smart coach, smart offensive mind. But I'm with Judd on this. I think he's going to defer to Aaron at least this first year. And sort of let things play out, see how it goes. But I think look into next year. If this thing is still really weird next year, it could be uh, two and done for Mr. LaFleur. So So I I think that right now they're, oh, uh, we're okay, we're happy, and everybody likes each other. Don't worry about whatever scuffle happened on the sideline. But that's because they won these first two games. Their offense has produced 31 points in the first two weeks. They put up 21 quick, and then they just shut it down yesterday and hung on for dear life and hoped that Kirk would throw it away, which he did. And it was an abysmally played game in the second half by Green Bay. You cannot overstate how pathetic they were, including the bad decision. for How about Matt LaFleur? Pay, pay attention. When your quarterback runs back up to the line of scrimmage, to hand off on a fourth and one when you have a chance to basically put the nail yeah, in the coffin. Why did you go, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you do that? So stupid. Because instead you're like, oh, I guess I'll just let him do whatever he wants. Yeah. I mean, this this thing I think has the potential to still go very, very sour. Even if there's some winning there through the rest of the season, if there are games like this that they treat the same way, most opponents are not going to throw the game away like Trubisky did in the first week and Cousins did in the second. But if your division does, who cares? Yeah, that's right. Well, and Stafford does (laughs) have a propensity to do that as well. Uh, All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the big games through the rest of the year. And I I want you guys to tell me how many big-time games Kirk Cousins will win because there are many opportunities on this schedule. Let's talk about it when we return here. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Um, but I guess here's what we're moving on from is, at least for now, the Kirk Cousins, is he just a massive choker and there's nothing you can do about it conversation. Uh, last night, I walked out of the press box feeling like that is just what he's going to do every time this comes up. Almost. And I'm sure there will be a game somewhere 
where he doesn't, and we'll all say, oh, maybe he figured it out, and then he'll do it the next time. Um, but the rest of the season, there are many opportunities for Kirk Cousins to change the narrative about Kirk Cousins, and I want to give you them. It starts in two weeks at Chicago. Now, after you saw what Chicago did yesterday, getting a game that, if I was a conspiracy person, I'd be saying, uh, let's take a closer look at this one and use some X-Files music as I review it on my crazy YouTube because there were some very bizarre penalties and it seemed like the referees did everything they could to get Chicago to kick a field goal and win that game against the Denver Broncos. It was outrageous refereeing, and you could be even more mad in Chicago or in Denver and Chicago about the refereeing than you would be in Minnesota. It was preposterous. So Chicago, September 29th, is the first opportunity for Kirk Cousins to say, okay, actually, I can step up in a big game. And then I'm not going to count the national TV game on the Thursday night against Washington. That's one you should just win. That's a bad team. But I would say Kansas City at KC and then following that at Dallas on NBC, Sunday Night Football, and then at Seattle, 7-15 Monday Night Football. There's a Denver game mixed in. But that stretch right there, and then the very end of the season, home against Green Bay, home against Chicago, those are the games that will determine whether Vikings fans look at Kirk Cousins and say, you know what, he really proved after week two, that that's not who he was. He proved that all the talent he has can be put to work with this very, very good team, and they can actually win something. And you could go into the playoffs saying, man, he won a couple of those games, and he went back and forth with Prescott, or you went back and forth with Mahomes, or you know he beat the Chicago defense in week 17 to get in the playoffs, and you can believe that this guy might have a chance to take you somewhere in the postseason. But there's equal chance that we're saying, Wow, they went seven and nine with a great team. What's the what's the odds that they figured this out enough where they can sneak out at least a win or two by not asking Cousins to do too much, but having him do just enough, and that the Kubiak system actually does work? Because I don't think the pendulum. I don't think Kirk's going to be consistently as bad as he was on Sunday at Lambeau, Matthew. But I also don't think it's fair to expect him to become something that he's not, which is in a clutch game, come up absolutely huge. So, where's the medium here? Hmm. Uh, well, what the medium might be is what we saw against the Atlanta Falcons, where everything else goes right for you, down to kicks actually being made and. Uh, fumbles that uh, did get recovered by the other team. I mean, this is a great look at how you can win and how you can lose if you're the Minnesota Vikings. You're you're the same team last week as you were this week, and you ran the same, and your defense played really, really well in both games. But in Green Bay, you lost the fumble. In Green Bay, they picked off the pass. In Green Bay, you missed the field goal. In Green Bay, you had the call go against you. And these are things that we often last year said, well, it's not his fault because this, 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 and this went against him. And that's over with now. In terms of how people are looking at it, they're mm-hmm. not going to say, well, it was a bad call that went against them. No, they're going to say, look at all the opportunities that were thrown in the garbage by your quarterback. And is there a way to figure it out? If there is an answer to this, I don't know it. 
and I try to look as deep as I possibly can into the tape, into the system, and we have Sage who played for freaking Gary Kubiak breaking it down for why it should work for him, and we have the analytics, we have PFF people on, and we got an offensive freaking lineman on here breaking it down, and nobody can explain why exactly this happens, that there are the meltdowns but yesterday, like we saw there. But yesterday, yesterday, if if on that fourth quarter drive, you continue to, to run the ball, and my contention is if you do, you score. Yeah. Our conversation today is, boy, Cousins didn't play well, and, and, and they still escaped. Right, so that's how, that's how what many, I'm asking. Yeah. I'm, I'm not asking how you how you get to work. I'm not asking you how you get to great cousins games where they are bound not to happen. I'm asking you how can the conversation be? Oh well, he didn't play great again, but they won defense. Yeah. But they won Delvin. But they won yeah. run blocking. How many times can you play like the 1995 Pittsburgh Steelers and, and win? I'm not suggesting it's a good idea. I'm asking you. How many times? Can you, how might, many games? Which games? But it might be the only way. I know. When, when you play these great teams, almost like to make another hockey comparison, when you pack it in against a team that's way more skilled than you, and you just try to play defense Jacques and protect Lemay. your net, and then Mike Zimmer's neutral take, zone trap. take off the other way. I mean, this is these are things that do work occasionally in basketball. The Harvard offense, you try to slow it down and keep. Keep the ball in your hands and that sort of thing. Uh, but usually those things don't work out super well. And you also have a game against Philadelphia here that's not going to be easy. I don't think either Detroit game is easy. I think I think Washington here should be easy, but because of how Kirk is wired, yeah. it might not be yep, easy. Yep, yep. That could be one where he puts way too much pressure Prime on himself. Primetime, former Prime team, time. I'm going to show them. Uh-huh. Yeah, almost nothing except for the Giants is just, I mean, that one is a mess, the the Giants. But it might be Daniel Jones by the time the Vikings get there by week five. Oakland looked uh, pretty horrendous this week. They should run over Oakland. Um, there's always a possibility of upsets like the Buffalo game last year. But for the most part, these are the games you look at and say, this is a good enough team where even if he doesn't play well, you're going to win. But my point is just... Where if I were a Vikings fan after yesterday, I would be trying to rationalize it in this way. By the end of this year, we'll know. We'll know for certain because there are so many big games on this schedule. There are so many national TV games. There are so many big divisional tough contests that he will face way more of this pressure. He failed test number one. He's got like seven or eight more. And if he fails six out of eight and they miss the playoffs, then you know. And then you move forward, and then you draft a quarterback, and that's what we'll talk about all offseason. Yeah. So that's what I would be looking at it as, and how I think I'm going to, as a reporter, is failed test one, many tests to go. So don't write it off yet, but... But history says but, tests will continue to be failed. But you'll know by the end for sure. Yeah. All right. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. Good things in baseball, not so good things in football to talk about. A lot for you guys to discuss. We'll be back on Score North. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. 
and take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.